Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. Jesus, Jesus, you make the darkness tremble. Why do we want to make the darkness tremble? Well, I think because darkness is scary, right? And we learned this from a little age. I don't even know if we need to be taught. When you're little, you learned pretty quickly that the darkness is scary, right? Do you remember sort of running to your room when someone shut out the light and you're trying to run to kind of, you know, get there while the light's going out behind you? It's all terrifying. Or do you remember like when they put you in bed and you're like, can you leave a light on or can you crack the door or whatever? Like there's something we almost don't need to be taught. There's something in us from a very young age when we know that darkness is scary. And I wish that got better as you got older, um, it doesn't. Even now, you know, you can hear a noise in the middle of the night. What was that? You know, and you kind of freak out, right? Um, I think as a young adult, you find out darkness is scary because you make bad decisions in the darkness, right? You, you, you sort of go like, like if you, if you think back to the, the top 10 hits of the worst things you've done or the dumbest mistakes you've made, just think about those stories and go, was it dark outside when I make that decision? It probably was. It probably was. Not all of them, but probably. We just do a lot of dumb things under the cover of darkness. Um, you, you, you hear this all the time. You get, like, professional athletes making millions of dollars. If you hear of a professional athlete who, like, shot someone or got shot, was it dark when that story went on? It was at 2 a.m. at the club, right? It was not, like, noon at Costco, right? It's always, like, you know, it gets dark and, like, stuff happens and the guns come out and then it's just, like, what are y'all doing over there, right? Because the, this stuff happens in darkness that's just, it's just not good. Parents, parents, we know this. It's, the, it's sort of that witching hour with the children when you try to put them in bed. It's like getting dark outside, and then they're scared, and then they want to drink water, and there's all these things. And if you can finally get them down in the darkness to sleep, the darkness is still a problem for you because you're going to step on Lego, which is the worst feeling in the world. So, right, darkness is, is not great. Even at, at now as I'm older and I, I don't have to step on Lego or whatever, a house, even now the darkness, you know, be, being in my 40s, I'm like, oh, it's getting dark outside. Now, this is like the lightest time of the year, so it's kind of nice, right? But even, even now when it's light outside, I'm like, I know darkness is coming, you know, and I'm sort of like, ah, can I just, I don't know, like, I, I want to sleep. I think I just want to sleep. Like the other, I, it was like a couple weeks ago, I was told my wife, I was like, I think I'm ready for bed. I'm looking at the clock, and it's 7.30. I'm like, ah, I don't think I can do that, right? Like, I can't. Can I do that? Like, check, just checking in. Like, can I go to bed at 7.30? Like, that's real. I'm, I'm, like, way into old people territory here, right? Like, so that's my plan is that when I'm, like, in my 70s, I'm just going to go to bed as soon as it gets dark at all. At all any and if it's 6 p.m., you know, that's when I'll go to bed, and I'll just get up when it gets light, and we'll just do it that way. I think that's the way God designed us or something. But we're, like burning candles at both ends, and we should probably just stop burning candles at all and stop staying up into the dark. Um, so we're scared of the darkness. I think there's also like this idea of a metaphorical darkness, not like actual darkness, but like 
we're wandering in darkness. We don't see things clearly. They talk about this in military a lot, like the fog of war. When a war starts, we don't know what we don't know, so we're kind of stumbling around in the dark trying to figure things out. Um, that's, that's kind of a, a thing. Um, we experienced this in March of 2020 when there's this new this virus thing going on, and we don't know what we don't know, so a lot of people are metaphorically wandering around in the darkness trying not to stub their toe, trying to make the best decisions for them and their family, trying to make the best decisions uh, in our government. And it's really difficult. So when it is dark, metaphorically, or let's just say physically, when it's dark, all it takes is a little bit of light and you're good. Like we could turn off every light in this room, get it completely dark in here, and I could light a match and everybody could see it. Like it it doesn't take much. Just a little bit of light can dispel all the darkness and, and can give us hope again. We're in this series, I bring this up because we're in this series called The Summer of Love, and we're reading through just one book in the New Testament, not, not even the whole book, but a, a chunk of the book of 1 John. And we call it the Summer of Love because John is kind of famously known as like the love book of the New Testament. He talks about love a lot. And there's a couple ideas and themes that he's going to hit a couple times throughout the book. And so we're going to, um, if you think of John like circles, he's like constantly circling back to a similar argument and to kind of t- telling and retelling stories over and over. And one of the themes that he, that he constantly goes back to is this light and darkness idea. And I want to introduce it today, the value of living in light and, and, and living in that. Uh, John, by the time he writes this book, is an old man. It's a letter. When he writes this letter, he's an old man, probably in his 80s or something. And it's roughly late 80s or 90s uh, AD. And so this is years after Jesus walked the earth, years after the churches were started. And John is living in Asia Minor, um, we would say Turkey now, Western Turkey. Uh, he's living near the city of Ephesus where we get the book of Ephesians from the New Testament. John is living near there and he's writing a letter to encourage the believers and churches that are around there. And last week he basically, we starts off the letter, we talked about it. He, he said, more or less, he says, we have undeniable proof about Jesus. I was there, I saw it with my own eyes. Um, Jesus lived, he died, he resurrected, these things. Uh, so he kind of starts there and then he goes into this concept of light. And I, wanna, uh, I want to read this to you. We'll start with First John chapter 1. We'll just do five verses, so we'll start with verse 5. It says this, we'll put it on the screen. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light. That sounds like a greeting card maybe or something like that. It sounds sort of maybe obvious or something like that. That really is an echo of a lot of things in the Bible. If you go all the way back to Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as God creates the universe, the first thing he does is say, let there be light. And so there's always been this association with God and light. God brings the light. He illuminates things. And if you think about what light does for us, um, then you see uh, how the God qualities kind of show up there. Light illuminates things. You can't see anything I'm doing right now without light. We have light and we go, oh, okay, that's what's going on in the room. I can see now. Light illuminates. It brings things out of the darkness. You could say it, it shows the, the full color and contour. You could see a shadow of a thing and not understand it, but when you see it in the light, now you get the full picture, right? So light illuminates. Um, it, it definitely does that. It also, in terms of the sun, light brings warmth 
which is a, an important thing, a valuable thing. We're about to find out how much warmth it brings in the next week, looking at the long-range forecast. It brings a lot of warmth sometimes. Uh, that's another thing that light does. So it illuminates, it brings warmth, which is needed. It even has vitamin D in it. Isn't that crazy? I thought vitamins just came in pills and like the things my mom told me I'm supposed to eat that I didn't want to eat, like spinach or whatever. But apparently, there's vitamin D from light from sunshine. Um, and that was a, and you, you underestimate that because a lot of times we're like, sun, oh, I need to put on sun block so I don't get the sun on me. And yes, it can burn, but it has a lot of benefit to it as well. That was even a thing during, during COVID. They were like, actually, one thing that would be really helpful for people's immune systems or everything is if they got more vitamin D, if they got outside and were exposed to sun more. It was almost as if we have been designed to live at least partly outdoors. And maybe in all of human history, most people lived more outside or, or whatever. And so we go, okay, the vitamin D, the light even brings that and it's helpful and it is uh, good for us. So he says, God is light. John says this, God is that. He brings all of that in the world. Um, and it says, in him there is no darkness at all. So there's no dark side to God. There's not like this, oh, here's, here's the bad side or, or whatever. Um, we might say it this way, there's, no, there's not a bad bone in his body. And this is a good thing to remember because sometimes following God goes very badly for you, okay? I don't know if you know that. Let me just, spoiler alert, if you're new to this thing, sometimes it does not go well, and it doesn't go well for people in the Bible. It's not always like, and they followed God, and they lived happily ever after, and everything was great. It's, it, it doesn't often go well. Life happens, and with God, without God, you know, sometimes things go poorly, and it's very easy when you're following God and bad things happen for you to conclude that God isn't there, or he doesn't care, or he isn't fair. That's sort of the classic way it goes. We, we start going, man, God is doing me wrong here, or I don't believe in him at all, or if he exists, he's not even fair, or he just doesn't even see me here, and, and he doesn't care about me. And John reminds us, no, no, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. That's just not how he is. So continuing on, verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. John is describing something we're very familiar with. He's describing um, hypocrisy. If you claim that you're following God, if you claim to be walking in the light, but you're actually walking in darkness, um, you're, you're a hypocrite, essentially. We all know that, right? We know that idea. There's this gap between what you believe and what you say you believe and what you actually do. Now, that gap exists in all of us to some degree, okay? Uh, every one of us, uh, I want to relieve you of the burden of feeling like you're the hypocrite in the room. Everybody is to some degree. Uh, we all have areas where we profess something and we don't live up to it. And this is true if you're religious or not. I, I hear the criticism all the time of the church. Oh, the church is a bunch of hypocrites. We do not corner the market on hypocrisy. We don't. You know, I, 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 you know, I, I want to I be like, you know, if someone's like, oh, the church is a bunch of hypocrites, I want to be like, yes, it is. That's why we're inviting you to join us because you're one too, <laughs> like, no matter what worldview you have, if you're religious, not religious, if you say, I have this ethical belief or this belief, no matter what you have, you all, none of us live up to it. At some point, you fall short. 
And, and that falling short is called hip, hypocrisy. You are not what you say you are. You are claiming, as John puts it, you're claiming to walk in the light, but you're actually in, in darkness. Uh, and, and John says there's another way. What, what he would say is you need to walk in the light. Um, and if you do that, he says two things are going to happen. One, you're going to have fellowship with other people who are doing this. So community is maybe what we would call it. If you walk in the light, if you try to follow Jesus, you're going to have community with other people who are trying to do the same thing. Communities like, you know, commonality, common set of beliefs, common set of goals. You have a, you're on a team together. And so he says, if you walk in the light, you are going to have fellowship with other people who are walking in the light, which means you're not going to this thing alone. You've got people who are walking with you. Yes, you're a hypocrite at times. Yes, you fall short. Yes, you sin. Yes, you mess up. All of that is true, but you are doing it with a community of people who are walking that walk with you, and they're going to um, walk alongside you and, and support you and, and, and extend grace to you. He says, so one, if we have fellowship, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with those who do. And then he says, also, the blood of Jesus, when we walk in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us and, and we are sanctified. In other words, um, our sins are forgiven. As we walk out in the light and, and things come up and we mess up, um, as we bring those things into the light, uh, and, and we, we are, our sins are forgiven. We are, we are made right with God and we can be and we can be whole again. So you kind of have these two benefits of walking in the light. You have a community to do it with, and your sins are forgiven um, as you do that. And as I hear that, I think, and I don't know how how you think about it, but I I sort of think like, man, isn't this what we all want? Don't we want to be known? Don't you really want to know people and have them know you? Don't you want to love people and have them love you? Don't you want to accept people and have them accept you? I think we all want that. It's scary. It, it can be really scary, right, to, to, to put yourself out there. But I, I think we all want this. We want the freedom that comes from truly being known and loved and, and accepted. We want to walk in truth. We want to keep it 100 or whatever the kids say these days. I don't know. We, we, we all want that. Um, we don't want to hide. We don't want to have to put the mask on and pretend we are something that we're not. Um, and, and I think we hide for lots of reasons. Topher, uh, about a month or two ago, talked about shame. I think that's a, a big part of it. There's this narrative that plays in our head, and a lot of it is like uh, we tell ourselves things like, I, I, can't, I can't walk in the light. We don't say it that way, but it's basically like, I can't be truthful, I can't be honest, I can't be real because I have problems other people don't have and they won't understand, right, which is a lie that we believe. Or we say things like, you know, they can't handle the real me, or this is going to be very awkward if I put myself really out there, and it's not going to work well. And we think it's going to break community, or it's going to break us if we're honest and real and truthful with people. Um, and so we, we, we hide. Um, we don't step into the light because we're afraid of bringing our stuff out. Another thing we sometimes do in this situation when we know that we have stuff and we don't walk in the light, another thing we, we might do is this, First John verse 8, listen to what he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So instead of saying, I have, a, I have sins, I have problems, and they're so bad, I don't want to tell you, we take this option, which is, I'm just going to say I don't have a sin at all. Now, most people in the church would say, oh, I'm a sinner, or they understand that concept because sin 
in, it's something talked about in a lot of churches. You've missed the mark. You're not following God. You're broken. You've broken relationship with God and with others. We, we generally talk about sin and understand it in the church. But outside of church, the weird subset of church culture, sin is not a very popular topic in the world, right? Uh, it's not something we get into. It's not something we um, uh, acknowledge, if you talked about the ills of society or, the pro- or global problems or whatever, if the World Economic Forum comes together to solve the problems of the world or whatever the heck they do, do you think sin is on the agenda? It, it might be, but do you think it's sin is on, up there as a topic t- for discussion? It isn't, right? No one's, no one's like, you know, the problem in the world is sin and how it's wrecking our lives. We're not, they're not talking about that. We're not acknowledging that at all. That is the elephant in the room we don't talk about. No, there's no sin. That's old school um, heavy-handed, moralistic religion, sin. So we, as John describes, we, we claim we have no sin at all. I don't sin. I just, we, we, write, off, we write off our sins and we just go, I, I don't sin. I just have some mistakes that I make. Um, I don't sin. There's just a couple little, you know, problems I have from time to time or I have, I'm recovering some from hard stuff and I've got some addictions and some different things. Like there's a lot of other names that we're going to put near sin, but we're not going to talk about sin. And that's very popular in our in sort of pop psychology. You don't sin, you just make mistakes. Because I'm not going to judge you, you don't judge me, no one judges. Um, and the mindset is, let's pretend that we have no sin. But John says, if you claim to be out without sin, you deceive yourself. If you're sitting there going, ah, I, I don't really, you're kidding yourself. The fact that you and I sin or that sin is in the world should be the most obvious thing in the world. I could, it's easier for me to prove sin than it is for me to prove God, right? G.K. Chesterton, I love quoting him because he's just the best. A hundred years ago, uh, wrote this. Just listen to what he said. Modern masters of science are much impressed with the need of beginning all inquiry with a fact. The ancient masters of religion were quite equally impressed with that necessity. They began with the fact of sin, a fact as practical as potatoes, Whether or no man can be washed in miraculous waters, there was no doubt at any rate that he wanted washing. You get what he's saying? There's no doubt in anybody's mind about sin. Scroll your feed. Read read the news. Get online and find out what's going on. Hear the story. Listen to the podcast. There's no doubt in the world that we want washing, that something is broken terribly, and that we need to be clean. So how can we be clean? 1 John, verse 9, he continues on. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. There's about, I almost called this whole sermon if, because there's about five if statements in this whole, this whole thing, which means, hey, there's some things that are hanging here. You can go one way or the other. And here he says, look, if you do this, if you will confess your sin, if you will say, this is what I've done, God is going to forgive you, and he's going to cleanse you and, and make you right and make you whole again. This is the value of confession. We name our sins. We say, this is what I've done. We speak them aloud, and we ask God to forgive us. Now, confession can look, I think, maybe one of three ways. One way to confess our sins is to confess them privately to God. So you set aside time 
when you pray, maybe before bed, maybe first thing in the morning if, if you're sharpest then in your thinking, and you go, what did I do? All right, Lord, I did this. And you say it to God. You pray it in your mind. Maybe you say it out loud. Maybe you, maybe you write it down in a journal that no one will ever see. Uh, but you, you confess. You go, this is between me and God. Um, this is what I've done. Here are my sins. That is a form of confession, and that is, uh, is, is, that, that is a, a, a good thing. It is actually uncomfortable if you thought about doing that right now. It's uncomfortable for us because I'm more comfortable thinking I haven't done anything wrong, and you probably are too. So the idea that I would systematically dredge that stuff up and name it aloud, you know, regularly, um, that seems, well, maybe that's not good, that maybe that's not psychologically healthy, I don't want to dwell on my shame and things like that. And I understand that shame can, can be a, a, a really hard thing. But instead of thinking of confessing our sins as dwelling on shame, what if we thought of it as confessing our sins is just helping me step into the light and be honest? It's helping me be real with who I am. I'm not perfect. I blow it, and I need to say it out loud. It's, it's okay. Um, if we are going to move forward and grow, we have to acknowledge that we've messed up, that we've sinned. And so I pray, I ask God to forgive me. Um, that is very uncomfortable, but it's good. A second form of confession is when we confess to one another. Um, when we say to another person, we sit down with someone and we say, this is what I've done, man, I'm really struggling with this. This, has been, this is a sin in my life or this is, this is where this is, is at with me right now. Um, and that's weird too. And that's weird inside and outside the church. Outside of the church, we don't confess to anything unless you broke the law. And even then, we, you need to get sued to confess to that. So we don't, we don't think there's anything worth confessing to outside, outside church world um, unless it's illegal. Um, and even then, we start with the confessions that sound like, I'm sorry for whoever maybe was offended by what I might have said, you know, that kind of, that kind of political talk. Um, so we don't do confession a ton in culture. And then we don't, uh, and then inside the church when you say, you know, we should confess to one another, that sounds very Catholic. If you grew up Catholic, you're like, oh, do I like go into a little booth? And there's like, you close a little curtain and then you forgive me, Father, I've sinned. And then you say, what, and how long has it been since your last confession? Now you've got to confess that. And that's a challenge. And, and maybe if you grew up with that, um, what I appreciate that, about that is that there is something there. There's actual like, hey, why don't you speak up about your sins? Um, but maybe we have some baggage about that and that's uncomfortable for us. Uh, so, so, and a lot of churches want to distance themselves from that. So, we, so outside of the church, we're not confessing sin. Inside the church, we're not confessing sin to one another because that sounds too, that could get weird or whatever. And maybe we've lost something. Confession to others is powerful. This doesn't mean you walk into your small group or your formation group at church or you show up at the next summer of fun event and you lead out with your sins. You know, hey guys, guess what I just did? Um, that's, that's not it. Um, you, don't, you don't have to share all of your stuff with everybody. And you need to be careful who you share what with. But you need to share your stuff with somebody, a trusted friend. Maybe it's somebody from your formation group or your small group or, or someone here in the church that you've connected with. And you go, man, this is where I'm at and I'm struggling. And maybe you, you confess some things to a, a trusted friend. Um, 
That's not easy either. But when you talk to someone and you confess, um, mostly what happens is you experience grace and you receive forgiveness and you get someone that goes, man, that's okay, I, I, I'm with you or let me pray for you, let me, let me walk with you. When we confess our sins to one another, there is something powerful uh, about that uh, when, we are, are, when it is not met with judgment but it is met with some understanding so those are two forms of confession. Confess to God directly. One, second, confess to one another. And then there's also like corporate confession where we as a church say, this is what we have done. Um, we, uh, we have not done this as a, as a church um, much at all. If you think about what corporate confession would look like, it is not open mic. We're like on a Sunday, we're just going to be like, put the mic down. Hey, if anyone wants to confess a sin, this is your moment. You know, um, that might be entertaining, but I don't know that that's healthy. Uh, I don't know that that would be the way, the way to go. Um, so what you see in a lot of churches is uh, some sort of like, hey, we're going to say these words together in, in, in confession of our sins. Um, and, and I think that's not a, a bad thing at all. Um, a lot of churches don't do that anymore. They don't, um, outside of some liturgical traditions will do it, but a lot of churches don't do that. Um, we haven't done it regularly. I'd, I'd like to see us do it more. So let's try it together. This is, uh, an, this is from an Australian uh, prayer book, and uh, the, the, this is a, a corporate confession. And, I, and I, when it's done, I will read to you um, sort of a part that goes with the end of it. But let me put it up on the screen, and let us, let's just confess this together, okay? Let's just say these words together, and then... Um, and, and this is kind of what corporate confession could sound like. So let's say this together. Merciful God, our maker and our judge, we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved you with our neighbors as ourselves. We repent and are sorry for all our sins. Father, forgive us. Strengthen us to love and obey you in newness of life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And the Almighty God, who has promised forgiveness of sins to all who turn to him in faith, pardons you and sets you free from all your sin, strengthens you to do his will, and keep you in eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I don't know if that's the answer to confession. It's a, it's, it's a partial solution. It is a, hey, let's just get in the habit of speaking these things out loud. And saying, hey, no, we've, we've all done this. I think that was general enough that we could all feel our place in that. Yeah, I've sinned against you in thought or word or deed. Um, and, and I think if we can get in the habit of confessing, I think that's a, a, a very good thing. What happens when we confess? John tells us God is faithful and just and he forgives us and cleanses us. There's no doubt that we wanted washing. And God is able to do that. We, we all want to be made right, and this is what we have in Christ. 
First, we are made right in Christ by being baptized. We give our lives to him. We are immersed in water. We are baptized. Our sins are washed away. We are set into a right relationship with God. That is the, that is the first step. And we, we encourage that. We celebrate that. We've got someone getting baptized after church today over in 2810. We're going to do that. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be there. We're going to celebrate. This is what's happening. Sins are washed away. And someone is brought into a right relationship with God and, and part of the church family. And then uh, we're going to do it again next Sunday as well, uh, down at the river. We're going to be down there washing all sorts of sins into the James River. And that's going to be a, a, a good thing. And, and um, that, is, that is the first step of the cleansing uh, that, that happens. And then, um, and then there is confession. This is an ongoing way of sanctification, an ongoing, um, hey, you know, Yes, I was made right with God in baptism, but I, I blew it. I did this, this, and this. I confess these things, and I can walk free and, and, and clear again. And we confess um, so that we can be holy, so that we can be sanctified. And if you don't like the words holy and sanctified, think of it this way. This will be a little more modern psychology, but think of confession as a way to be made whole, to, a, a way to, to, to be made right, right before God and, and right even in our own minds. Rather than deny our sins, we confess them and we walk in faith knowing that God has forgiven us. Let me tell you, even if you don't think this works, even if you're like, man, do I have to, is it really going to help to confess? Like, this seems weird to tell a person to even, I don't know, go quietly tell God or whatever. Is this actually going to work? Even if you don't think it's going to work, does it hurt to try it? Like, try walking in light. Try walking in the light and see what happens. I think we could all tremendously benefit from this. This is part of the value of faith. It's the part of the value of attending church. It's the part of the value of being part of a faith community. Um, is there's a lot of growth to, to be had here. Um, and, and maybe we should dial in a little more. You know, I, I don't think most of our problem is that we've got too much Jesus in our lives. I don't think we're like, man, I'm just so Jesus-focused, it's wrecking my life right now. Um, I, I think mostly what happens is we don't dial in enough. We don't dial in enough. We kind of play at it and, and don't really dive in deep to what God has for us. I found an article uh, recently, and the article was called, A Bit of Religion Can Be Bad for Marriage. I was like, well, this is interesting. Let me, let me read this. And you've probably heard the stats before that, um, that 50% of marriages in America end in divorce, um, which is, needs an asterisk and it needs nuance and whatever. And then the, the stat that preachers like to tell is that, oh, it's no better in the church. The, the, the stats are the same in the church, 50% of marriages in Christian people. Um, those marriages end in divorce. The article, though, dives into it and basically they said, um, no, what, what you find is that people that attend church regularly and are dialed into their faith, their divorce numbers are quite low, actually. The people who claim to be Christian and only kind of are part of a church, their divorce numbers are even higher than people who don't go to church at all. Well, that's weird. But there's something going on there that if you play at this, it does nothing for you. In fact, it might not be beneficial at all. The real benefit comes is when you actually dive into your faith and really get in there and go, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explore the depths of this and learn. But when we play at it in a shallow way, 
um, there's, there's not much benefit there at all. And I've, I've seen that dynamic. You've probably seen that dynamic with a lot of things. A partial commitment to things will bring partial results. You kind of diet, you kind of exercise, you kind of work hard, you kind of study, you get kind of results. But if we want to be fully clean and fully free and fully forgiven and fully healed and fully walking in the light and fully whole, it's not going to work to do confession-ish, like kind of confession, confession light. It's going to take true confession. So today, where are you going to go with this? I hope one thing you get out of this is that you think of someone that you can sit and talk to. Who is one person in your life that you go, man, I just want to lay my stuff out for this person. And if they want to do that with me, that's fine, but I need to, I need to confess. And maybe you go, man, my action step this week is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start writing some things down or I'm going to pray regularly and tell God, hey, God, this is where I'm at and this is what, I, what I've been, been doing but let's take John seriously here as he writes and be the people who have um, real faith and not just uh, a little bit of faith and, and actually walk in the light um, as, as God is in the light. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your light coming to earth, for Jesus being the truest example of that light and for him um, really fleshing out for us what it looks like to follow you in, in the flesh, in, in, in human terms. Um, so God, maybe we be the people that do it. Um, God, there's so much shame and there's so much um, disappointment and anger and frustration and um, there's so much of, um, and, and that stuff just fuels hypocrisy and division and, and problems. And so, God, may we just be a community that walks in the light, that we just get honest with, man, this is where I blew it, and this is where I'm at, and this is what I'm doing. So that we, um, not so we can be gossipy with it, but actually so that we can be healed and we can be free and we can uh, walk in the light with other people who are striving to do the same. God, um, the church globally or maybe the church in America is so often accused of being hypocrites. Uh, I pray if we can, that um, you help us to be the people who, if anything, we're accused of being honest. And, and people look at it and go, those people are honest and real about who they are and, and what they're trying to do and where they're going. Um, God, the solution I don't think is to play at this, but to really dial into it and, and be honest about it. And thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.